you freaking auto? This, this is Brock and Saul. Brock Heward and Mark, Matt, Marcus. Sorry about just Mike. Mike. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Where's like the buff dudes at? Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. <laughs> Brock, the Seahawks' entire draft changed on Friday, didn't it? Everything changed on Friday when Carolina leapfrogged everybody to get all the way up to number one. Does it affect the Seahawks? Yeah, I think it has to affect them. Because Chicago didn't trade with somebody in the top four. They decided to bring a new team into the mix, and it's a new quarterback-hungry team. And the next thing you know, you are looking at a very strong potential. Potential. Yeah. For quarterbacks to go one, two, three, four. Certainly to go one, two, four. Mm-hmm. And we'll see whether or not it's one, two, three, four. But if that's the case, oh man, the world is changing for you. All of a sudden, the number five pick looks very different than it did on Thursday. So how do you receive that? Was that good news? Was that bad news? I know you're on the intrigue side of Anthony Richardson, as are a lot of your pollsters, a lot of your people, yeah. your peeps out there. Uh, did you see that as, oh, Darn it! I was kind of kind of liking this Anthony Richardson, and I kind of am hoping at five that he's still on the board. Or did you see that? Is yes, way to go, Scott Fitterer, out there in Carolina, our long friend of, of John Schneider's. Mm-hmm. And you want your quarterback? You better go get your quarterback and and trade away a pretty good wide receiver as well. Oh, by the way, to Chicago, yeah. I think a good deal for Chicago. They were not going to take a QB and and still kind of land in that sweet spot that I've told you of about. You know, somewhere in the top eight, nine, ten, where you know there's a big fall off of elite talent. So they get a, a pretty elite receiver. They still are in place to to get a pretty elite player. And Carolina goes up to get now the quarterback they want. I I, I took it as good news. I, I I don't I don't think Anthony Richardson's going to be the pick at five anyway. So I took that as good news. Let quarterbacks go one, two, three, and if they go four, then. We get the guy that uh, has been my number one the entire time, that being Will Anderson. Well, yeah, I mean, I think what's cool about it is if you if you believe, like I think you and I both do, the defense is their biggest need. Now, I could absolutely be convinced that if the right quarterback is there, they should take him or maybe even move up to take him. I think that is a very real conversation. But if you believe that that guy is available later in the draft, you could now legitimately have your choice between Jalen Carter Will Anderson and Tyree Wilson, if you want to. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's funny, Anderson, Brock, I know you've said he's the guy, and I'm sure he's the most talented in that group. The other two fill bigger needs, right? At least for this team, or, you know, they're head and shoulders above a weak draft class like like Carter is. So, I mean, you could make a pretty strong argument that Anderson is the worst fit for what the Seahawks need of those three guys. Because he's, he's more of an outside linebacker in their yeah. scheme, right? Whereas, you know, Wilson's big enough to play defensive end and Carter could play that D tackle spot. I mean, like you could make a really strong case that those two guys are better fits for the Seahawks, right? You could. Yeah. I mean, they're bigger bodied guys are pretty physical. And obviously that is a huge priority an enormous need. The tampering season begins today and tomorrow. And, Two hours. Yeah. You know, and we'll kind of see then how this thing takes off. We've already got a little bit of an indicator with Deron Payne getting paid and paid enormously because leverage with a capital L was on his side with a pretty, 
pretty, I don't want to say weak, but but certainly not huge upside guys besides Deron Payne in free agency. Maybe Hargrave is in his class. We'll see. And likely he too will be you know, getting a, a ton of juice and ton of money simply because, to your point, in this draft, there's a lot of DNs. There's a lot of pass rushers. Yeah, so- I, do, I do think Will's cut above, but... There's not a lot of big body. Well, the just difference between difference Will Anderson and the next group of of defensive end, you know, edge guys available versus right. the difference between Jalen Carter yep. and the next group of defensive linemen available. Yeah, you say that, and yet every mock now we start to see Jalen Carter fall out of the top yeah, ten. But that has nothing to do with his talent. I mean, that's because right now he's been, you know, arrested for racing and, and there's a I don't misdemeanor, think it's just, I don't think it's just that one incident. I think that one incident continued a a little bit of a tale of, geez, I don't I don't know if this guy makes some of the best choices. That that one incident, by the way, pretty egregious. Not just the misdemeanors, but kind of leaving the scene and, and knowing what you were leaving as well. And, and you know, just, uh, I mean, poor judgment at a minimum and your gross immaturity and mm-hmm. on the other side of that. And so, yeah, you're starting to see him while the talent is phenomenal. And, you know, that was one of John Schneider's points last year too. If you remember after that draft and, and kind of through the process of the six, seven months that followed it of, of not only hyper productive players in college they went after, but those of real high character too, mm-hmm. after some swings and misses. So <laughs> are, are you going to step back into that mode? No, the I, highest draft no. pick you've ever taken. I know it's funny because you, you kind of look at this pick, and if you've learned from last year, Anderson is the choice. Last year they didn't draft for need; they just drafted the best player available. And you're right; they went after productivity and they went after you know culture and and personality. Yep. And if all of those things are your consideration, you know Anderson is Anderson. is a pretty obvious choice. Yes. But I don't know that I'd be like a hundred percent sold because of the fit. Of the other two guys. I, I mean, I don't, you know, again, I don't know that I can judge the difference between Tyree Wilson and, and Will Anderson, other than to say that the position and size of Tyree Wilson is yeah. probably a better fit for what they need right well, now. Well, whenever he has his pro day in the next few weeks or whenever it may be, and I'm sure that's out there, I apologize. I don't have all my pro days memorized. But whenever <laughs> that is, that's going to be a significant one because he, remember, did not work out at the combine, rightfully right. so, coming off of his foot injury and his surgery, and he wanted to give himself every last opportunity to to get right and to be right. But how he runs, how he jumps, how he bends, how he moves – all of those things will be critically important to compare and contrast. He comes out, Mike, and runs a, you know, and he's a big guy, right? He's six six plus, yeah. or right around six six and two seventy something. He's closer to Frank Clark size. Yes, with long, much much longer arms. So, but does he come out and Frank Clark ran four six and showed an explosive mm-hmm. fiber that was just different? If this kid comes out and runs a four six, okay, now we're having a conversation. I mean, a, a legit conversation because he's every bit as good character wise as well. Uh, maybe not as productive, playing a different position at Tech. But if he comes out and runs a, a four nine and doesn't jump really well, it becomes a lot easier. Then it becomes a uh, yeah. So that, what do you make of this text for two five three? Who says Will Anderson is not a Miles Garrett Bosa level talent? His level of talent is much more frequently available where the Seahawks normally draft. They won't have the opportunity at a top quarterback as long as John and Peter here. Yeah, say that again. I'm sorry. One more time. Will Anderson, according to this text, Will Anderson, okay, is not a Miles Garrett Bosa level talent. Correct, because he's not two hundred and eighty pounds. You know, those guys at, at that size, and they went, what, number one, number two, uh, both number two, are 
280 and then have the athleticism that Will has with speed and power and all of that. He does it at about 240. So, so he's yeah. more of a Von Miller type. Correct. Correct. So, you know, he plays a little little different position. Doesn't, you know, take on maybe some of that run game like those two aforementioned guys can and have and aren't at, at that elite level. But are you convinced that these QBs, and we know the bust rate of these QBs too mm-hmm. in the top 10. We've gone over that. And so for the two five three, does he have his may not matter. he wants? <laughs> you, it may not matter. You may not have an opportunity to draft one of those guys if they go one, well, two, three, four. Well, at best, you're going to have the fourth, right? So what, what does that tell you as well to the two five three? That's at best, exactly you right. have the fourth quarterback. Three quarterbacks are definitely going before you go, which is pretty crazy to even think about. I did start. It did get me uh, walking down the road of, okay, could you trade back a couple of spots, right? If you looked at it and said, okay, we want one of Carter, Anderson, or Wilson. We want one of those three. Could you trade back one or two spots and make it happen? But then I started looking. You know what you get for that? Maybe a fourth-round pick. Right. Like, it's not enough to say that you don't want the guy that you want versus the guy that you don't. So I I don't think you'd do that. It also made me wonder if these quarterbacks do go, let's say, one, two, three, four, or all in the top six or something like that. Yep. Does that make – does that increase Hendon Hooker's value? Does he go from being a second-round pick to a late first-round pick because of another quarterback-hungry team, maybe even you, that says, I just can't sit around and wait with all those other quarterbacks possibly. off the board? Yeah, possibly. Yeah, I think I think that's real. You know what else? I, I, I waited nine minutes. I was supposed to give a shout-out. Jonas, if you're listening right now, Jonas listens to our show every day. I think he's about Titus's age as well. Okay. I didn't get his age. Good. But yeah, yesterday, saw him at the Mariners Complex, and huge fan. Dad was there. And he said, you know, this is my son, Jonas, and he listens to you and Salk every morning. So, and I told Jonas, hey, you better be listening. You better be listening Monday morning. A little shout out. Oh. You know, I've been kind of lacking on my shout out. So a little shout out to Jonas this morning. Well, thank you for doing that. I think uh, our entire listening audience was really waiting Mes- for some good well, Jonas they're mesmerized by that. No, you're, I got a lot they more They were mesmerized. Salk, I have so many takeaways from the Mariners game okay. yesterday. Good. Gosh. Well, we're going to get to them coming up in 20 minutes. So many. A lot of Mariner conversation today as well. It's Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. A couple hours away from the NFL opening up its quote unquote legal tampering period, basically an opportunity for teams to start negotiating with free agents before they can officially be signed on Wednesday. Seahawks definitely have money to spend and they've got needs. Defensive tackle, edge rusher, linebacker, wide receiver. I mean, those are just a couple. Interior offensive line. There's plenty of opportunities for them to go spend some money in free agency. As for the D tackle market, going to be expensive. Short supply. Deron Payne just set the market. Gets $90 million for four years to stay in Washington and avoid the franchise tag there. It's going to take something close to that if you want Javon Hargrave, who now becomes the top defensive tackle. You know, I was reading a piece this morning on The Athletic where they went back actually over the last three years, Mike, and it's it's a little harder in football to put these pieces together than it is, say, in baseball where you've got so much data and wins above replacement and kind of some standards that everybody seems to understand. Uh, but when it comes to value, when it comes to money spent in free agency over the last three years, not a surprise, the Seahawks are 24th. They just do not entertain, typically, these first big waves of free agency where so much money has been spent over the years. But when it comes to value and when it comes to money spent, yeah, it's Justin Cincinnati Bengals who've been to a Super Bowl and been to an mm-hmm. AFC championship that have gotten the most bang for the buck over the last three years. Certainly hope the Seahawks, they will have to. 
there's going to be some need to to get some true bang for the buck when it comes to free agency and it comes to those conversations, as you said, that begin today. Yeah, rebuilding time in L.A. Jalen Ramsey is now out. The Rams trade him to Miami for just a third-round pick and a random tight end. Why so little for Jalen Ramsey? Because Miami inherited so much <laughs> as far yeah. as the contract goes. And the Rams able to get that just heavy, heavy contract, one of the highest-paid corners in the league, off their books and put it on the Dolphins' books. Here's the second thing you need to know. Mariners with a nice little comeback to finish off their weekend. Luis Castillo pitched yesterday, pitched into the fourth, and was good. I made a couple of mistakes that cost him. Scott Service happy with it. There we go. Sunday day at the park. Everybody got their money's worth. A little pitching, a little hitting. Um, I think uh, Luis Castillo looked good today again. Um, he's made one mistake, an 0-2 pitch for the home run, but I thought he looked really good. Uh, good signs there. I think uh, you know, some of the guys out of the bullpen, not as sharp as we've seen them be. Uh, Bernardino threw the ball great later on, gives a couple innings, but you know, the, the B team, the guys that came in behind, the regular guys did a nice job, swung the bats, and you know, you get these games on here once in a while. They've continued to do that. You know, I was at the facility yesterday, was chatting with my buddy Alvin Davis for a while and kind of asked him about some of the young guys that, you know, we don't talk about. You know, some of these guys that you and Dan Wilson are working with behind the scenes. And and he pointed to a few of them. McCoy yesterday actually hit the ball pretty hard. Shortstop made a couple nice plays, an interior base uh, or an infield baseball uh, guy. And he said, you know what, though? Here's the deal. And this is what you are seeing. And it came to life again yesterday. When these guys get their opportunity, they're not just going through the motions. He's like, sometimes young guys come in and they're either overwhelmed or they just kind of want to get through it. These young guys from Alberto Rodriguez, you know, on a couple different occasions, like when they get in the box or they want their opportunity to shine, they're maximizing Mm -hmm. it uh, because this isn't the first time we've seen in the late innings some of that depth in the in the organization really come to life and and be a difference and and help them win some of these. Well, speaking of maximizing for a young guy, how about Jared Kelnick just tearing the cover off the ball when I think four for four over his last two games with four runs driven in a double, a triple. He has just been everywhere. Here's the 2-1 pitch, swung on, hit hard, right by the diving first baseman, into the corner, scoring is Cal Raleigh, digging for two is Kelvin, now he's going to high gear, going to get three, here's the throw to third, it is, not in time, a triple and RBI triple for J.K., Jared Kelnick continues his hot hitting for the Mariners. And the Mariners have a 2 nothing lead over the Rockies. We'll spend a little more time on him coming up in about 10 minutes. Roster moves this weekend as well. No real surprises. Cape Marlowe, 110, Justice Sheffield, a few others all sent down. The roster is now at 60. Here's the third thing you need to know. Strangest thing I've ever seen in scheduling, certainly in the NHL, back-to-back games at home against the same team. So strange. Dallas Stars, first place in the Central. They'll be back at it tonight against the Kraken. Game one on Saturday got them a point with an overtime loss. Just weird, man. Bummer to give up a goal with just over a minute left to tie it as they had the lead and look like they might have found a way to get both points. Eberle, Donato, Bjorkstrand, all with goals. And then uh, Brock Brackett's revealed yesterday. Yes. Gonzaga, number three seed in the West. Yeah, I kind of kind of like their little spot, to be honest with you. They're in the bracket with UCLA. If you know, they can get to the Sweet 16 and everything else. UCLA is not the UCLA earlier this year. Some key injuries have impacted them and from where Gonzaga was midseason with a couple losses in conference, a loss to your Loyola Marymount team for the first time in 30 years. A lot of people wondering, 
Is this going to be hitting the skids? It's going to be one of the worst runs for Gonzaga. Instead, they turn it around. They win the West Coast Tournament. They share the West Coast Conference. And they get a pretty good seed at number three. They'll take on Grand Canyon to begin it. But as I said, pointing ahead to have UCLA there lurking. I think that's a wounded UCLA. That's a pretty good draw for the Zags. We also find out that Jen Cohen says uh, Mike Hopkins is going to be back for another year. I don't know that she had much of a choice, but seventh year? It's been a while, man. Yeah. Yeah, big year. I mean, big year. So he's going to evaluate everything. He's going to have to make some changes. I don't think there's any question about that. But yeah, with six, seven million dollars in buyout, and you know, money going other places, money going to some of the, <laughs> the student athletes and different collectives. Mm-hmm. I know that those are different pots and everything else. But yeah, he's going to get one more, one more chance to to rattle the cage, shake things up, and hopefully have a significant turnaround. That is everything you need to know, and we do that quarter past every hour here on this new Brock and Salk show. You didn't watch the Oscars at all last night, huh? No, no. Nothing? I, we, no, we were Gigi and Papa's last night with wow. the family. We we watched some of the brackets, was kind of into that, and no, no, not. Once I knew Maverick was going to get hosed, I was like, I'm Hosed, out. yes. I'm out. I mean, it got nominated. I think that uh, was pretty I mean, pretty it saved Hollywood. Let's be movie. clear. It, sa- it kind of saved the whole industry. You think industry, Hollywood but... cares about that when they've got nope. Oscar nominations? They don't Absolutely care about that. Not. They that, don't care that is about not in that. any way in their mind. Uh-uh. It was interesting watching the red carpet stuff. Like, it, the, the people there are young. Like, they made a clear, because once you get into the Oscars, right, it's always, like, honoring Judd Hirsch and, like, all these super old people. And so you could see they've, like, really made an effort to go really young with the red carpet stuff. And Interesting. Yeah, like, my kids knew a lot of the people on the red carpet, even though they didn't know anybody nominated for Oscars. Huh. If that makes that, sense. That, you know, and good for you guys. You had a big Oscar party with all the kids. I don't know about big. And, there were a couple of kids. I mean, it was huge. I saw it. It was saw not. That's from not Arizona. what happens. No. But there were a few kids, a little red carpet. It was, uh, it was quite a scene at the Salk household yesterday. <laughs> kids are loud when they get together. They're very loud. Just the, the way the the way the volume just ratchets up. Uh-huh. It gets louder and louder. It's just like, I don't know. There's nothing quite like the amount of noise kids can make. Yeah, and, so. and were you screaming from the basement? Me? Quiet out of there! <laughs> Be quiet, go watch! Yeah, no, I was not. I just, no. All right, no. coming up next, uh, speaking of screaming, I think I uh, saw some video of Brock screaming at the Mariner game yesterday. We're going to go through what he saw and the most important thing that is happening in Peoria right now. It's Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, salesports.com. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. I don't like feeling envious, Brock, but uh, I do. I got pictures of you yesterday out at the ball game in mm. Peoria, sitting mm-hmm. behind the plate with Titus, right? Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I saw oh, the yeah. pictures. Great I was a little upset. I, was, I wasn't wild yeah. about seeing that. Yeah. Basically, I was right next to Scott again. It was kind of like Camelback when we were all out there, you know, watching. And I was, I, this time with Titus, I thought, you know, probably not my place to tell Scott when to pull some of these guys. Oh, you only do that when you're with us. Only without, yeah, only to embarrass Pretty much. us. Yeah, that's uh, nice. In a professional environment. Yeah, a professional environment with you guys. That, that's <laughs> the when text I, I see here uh, is a picture of you wearing bright orange shirt and says, what's with this nonsense? And it's got yeah. you just sitting there right behind the plate, observing. Yeah. Just, the shirt yeah. doesn't say that, does it? No, that's what the text okay. says. The text says, <laughs> what's with this nonsense? And showing Brock back at the game. So what did you pick yeah. up? You were down there. You were at the facility. Tell me about your uh, Tell me about your day. 
I was. Well, I already gave a shout out to Jonas. I won't do that again, okay. but I had an absolute blast. Titus is, uh, this audience has started to know, loves loves baseball, loves seeing the behind the scenes. And now, you know, the difference between 13 and I think the last time he was there was, do you remember Macy was juggling the soccer ball? Yes. Kyle Seeger was quite smitten with Macy's jungle. I do remember She that. was like at three or 400 in a row, and he's like, are we supposed to think this is normal? Like she's just, you know, juggling away and, and Titus at that time, I don't know, six or seven years old, a little different at 13 as he sees these guys, but we walk out right to where our, our set was. And who's the first person that we see? Who's the first Mariner, former Mariner that we Ichiro? see? <laughs> right there. Uh, in uniform. And Titus is like, is Ichiro playing today? <laughs> is he the hitting coach? Dude. What what is, what is Ichiro doing? I was out here? with a, I was out with a bunch of dudes on Saturday. I have like my little guys night out thing. So ten dudes, we all went out for dinner and drinks and stuff. And one, I was telling one of the guys about Ichiro, and I'm like, yeah. So he does that every day. I'm like, yeah. So so what does he do during the season? Like same thing. Like what? They were completely blown away by the idea. Like, okay, I get yes. it. Spring training, he shows up. It's part of the fun. Then he what goes back to Japan? Like, what does he do? Like, no, he dresses in the Mariners clubhouse every day. Unbelievable. Yes. <laughs> I think two or three or four times over the course of the day kept asking me, like, what is Ichiro doing? Because there's Dan Wilson and we see Dan and you know, he's got you know, some of the some of the garb on. You know, I think the coach's pants, but sweatshirt and he's working with the young guys. There was Alvin Davis and and you know, I showed uh, Ty the, the batting cages and our favorite machine in there and and there's Alvin working with some of the younger players. But then there's Ichiro, like in full uniform and you know, full garb and, and he comes out even like during the game to sit in the dugout and yeah, Ty was pretty mesmerized, as I think all of us have been, over Ichiro and just the role that he plays and, and just his life, man, how much he his identity is wrapped into it. And he just loves it. Can't get anything more of it. Uh, I missed a, a buff dude when we were down here. And it, and it became very apparent yesterday as he ran right by us a number of times into his position because he was the catcher yesterday. Tom Murphy is one jacked yeah. human being. Oh, I thought you knew I mean, that. He, I mean, I knew that, but until you are that close to it, and you know, I know that I screwed up him. And who was the other catcher? Uh, yeah, uh, that the, the, had the tattoo. I kind of screwed that whole thing up. Was that O'Keefe who had, I think, two hits yesterday? Uh, anyway, I screwed that up. But I also screwed up and failed to mention over the course. And he's always been jacked. He's always been a workout warrior. He's always been in just incredible shape. But I think even coming off of that shoulder injury as well, and all of the work that that requires, and all of the lifting, and all. I mean, he is one jacked up he's he's the most jacked up catcher in major league baseball oh you sure yeah. about that i'm i'm pretty sure <laughs> i mean do you know all the I, I catchers in major league baseball i just said it and then i thought, yeah, no, you no, thought no, i don't know well i know candy maldonado down in houston doesn't hold a candle <laughs> not candy but yes that's that's <laughs> a different maldonado. maldonado yeah yeah uh I, yeah i think tom is about as jacked or the most jacked guy there is all right um so here's what was kind of cool. Here, here was something a little different that I hadn't noticed. So maybe when we chat with Jerry on Thursday or Scott at some point this season, because of where we were sitting, we were right there basically in the dugout, which was awesome. Thank you, Jack. And uh, in between innings, your guy, The Rock, Luis Castillo, mm-hmm. doing towel drills. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, you know that that's something that a lot of certainly young pitchers do. Titus has done those. It's 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 a part of 
you know, work you can do certainly away from the field. And, but you know, in between, I was like, what is that whipping sound? I look over into the dugout. Yeah. In, in between every inning and he kind of gripped it like a two seam, like, like he would a baseball kind of had the towel between his middle finger and uh, ring finger. Right. And so he could still really, and he's just in there kind of keeping his arm, I, I guess, keeping his arm warm, right. Mm-hmm. Or part of just the arm building process for him over the course of the spring. And I will say, man, he had, Man, he had a big old smile yesterday from the time we saw him in the clubhouse to pitching, to walking off the mound, to in the dugout, to even afterwards when we were walking around the facility. Just the uh, just the joy that that guy has to, to play this game on top of the talent that, you know, by the way, a fastball yesterday that multiple times was sitting 94, 95, right? That maybe early in the spring, the start we were at was more 91, 92. Yep. Uh, yesterday, starting to crank it, was, it up. Yeah, yesterday, and so you know, Ty asked me, he's like, "Could he? Can he like right now throw 99? And I'm like, "I don't, I don't think like right now he could throw 99." Oh, I'm sure he could. Uh, oh, I'm sure if he wanted to do that, I'm sure he could. But I'm sure he's holding a little something back. I'm sure he wouldn't be able to do it over and over again. Probably wouldn't be able to do it without getting hurt. That's right. But, yes, could he throw one pitch 99? I'm sure probably, he could. Yeah. yeah, he probably could. And I said, you know, there's a big difference. Like, there's Logan over there, and Logan spends the offseason, you know, just continuing to invent and reinvent and, and work every mechanic and do all of that. And I bet you Luis went home and maybe not even hardly picked up a baseball. Right, I'm sure he did some activity, but very, very different in the way that they get their themselves ready. Mm-hmm. And and he's going to use these three, four, five, six starts here in spring training to ramp up a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. So, um, yeah, that was uh, that jumped out to me. And then lastly, uh, after the game, we bumped into Cal Raleigh in the in the facility, and just what a great dude. You know, and I kind of picked his brain and, and Scott Service's brain, saw Jerry yesterday as well, and, and kind of Ty got to meet all of them. And I and with each of them, I just say, hey, what what would be your best piece of advice to a 13-year-old? Okay. You know, and uh, Scott said, do not worry about velo, worry about fundamentals, you know, that, that all these younger and younger, you know, kids are just all they care to care about is the velo. Just don't do that. Um yeah, Jerry was was super kind and and again took some time and and gave him some background on, on other kids around you know around the world that uh, that desire to be big leaguers and kind of what you're facing and and what you know it looks like in the Dominican and with all the prospects and everything else, but super encouraging. And then Cal was just great, and Ty was like, I didn't realize he's country. And I'm like, oh oh yeah, he's you didn't. Of, yeah, well Ty didn't really know. I mean he hadn't heard him a lot he hardly said five words last year with you True. at the picnic table Fair. so he's like i didn't realize how country he is i said yeah yeah he's very you know north carolina and then down at florida state but he said keep playing sports yeah which is something you and i have talked about for a long time and he that, said that was hey, music I'm, to your ears yo and he, he asked Titus like what are you playing he's like oh you know i play some football and basketball and baseball good keep playing them all and i was like yeah i'm gonna try and, and what about what about you cal he's like oh i played them all all the way through, and uh, loved basketball. Can you see Cal Raleigh, the basketball player? I bet he's a pretty good rebounder. <laughs> That's exactly what I said. I bet you he was boxing people out. <laughs> I said, were you the round mound of rebounds? And then I realized, oh, he doesn't even know these guys. No. That's <laughs> sad. Even... The was... what? Was I the yeah. what? The Charles Charles Barkley, the guy in TNT? Yeah, he's a good player. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, I didn't uh, oh. Brock, any update? Did he, does he want to be roommates with me? Or is that, <laughs> should I let that one go? I just want to make sure. I... Yeah, he did not 
Justin, I don't think he didn't mention that. Okay. Uh-huh. That's too okay. bad. Yeah, I'll try it one more time. Yeah. I mean, I don't so, think that dream is dead. I'm sure he just didn't want to embarrass Titus or anything true. like yeah, that. Yeah, good point. It was about Titus that day. It wasn't about me. Right. I'm sorry. I mean, just let's not make this about you. <laughs> so, And as good as all of that was, you know what one of the highlights was? Our Uber driver mm. played at Arkansas okay. in the late 70s. And you know who was the GA? First coaching gig at the University of Arkansas in the late 70s? One Peter Carroll. Oh, wow. Yes. Wow. And this, yeah, this guy was a D lineman, great guy. And uh, his his coach was Monty Kiffin, D coordinator. And I'm like, Monty Kiffin, was was Pete Carroll there? He's like, oh, yeah, Pete was there. I believe his first year as a GA. Wow. Dudes loved him. Absolutely oh. loved Pete Carroll way back when in the 70s at Arkansas. So, yeah, it was kind of a full gamut yesterday. Seriously. From, from the Uber driver to the day. great seats to, yeah, I got done. I'm like, Titus, that was a heck of a day right there. But. Wow. Sure was. Interesting. <laughs> yes. So any Kelnick sighting down there at all? Did not see Jared yesterday. Okay. Yeah, we got there. We had a we got, day off, so. Yeah, so we got there at about, I don't know, 1130 or so. So most of the stuff was all wrapping up on the field. Yeah, yesterday, yeah, that, that was one thing. There was obviously the WBC guys were gone, so it was a little different vibe than what we felt. Um, but obviously getting there a little bit on the tail end of workouts, a lot of the, a lot of the regulars had, uh, had kind of, I think gone home for the day on a Sunday. Interesting. Well, he's just been my focus uh, consistently. And I, I don't really know what to say at this point. Like, I don't know what else he can do. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like he is wowing me at every turn. Do you, have you looked at his numbers this year, Brock? Well, he's not, he's not just wowing you. Well, he's wowing everybody, but yes. have you seen the numbers? I, I started, try not, you know, I try not to look at spring numbers. Right, of course. Yeah, you don't care about any enough. of that. That's fine. But I don't have anything else to go on right now because they can't start the regular season soon enough. So here's what I've got. Dude's hitting 435. Batting average. Mm-hmm. He's got four home runs and 25 plate appearances. His OPS is over 1,500. And his strikeout percentage is actually the one I think is most interesting. Six strikeouts in those same 25 plate appearances, that's 24%. His career average is 30%. Yeah. MLB average is about 23%. Yeah. So he has gotten, at least for the you know beginning of spring training, he has taken his strikeouts down to about major league average while doing everything else, hitting for power and everything else you want him to see. And, yeah, running well. He had the triple, which he legged out on Saturday. I mean, Raleigh had a stand-up triple because it just sort of was, you know, bounced away from everybody. He had one into the right field corner that he had to dig, and he just ran all the way around the bases and was safe. So, I don't know, man. I I don't (laughs) – what is the best – let me ask you this. What is the – and I'll ask everybody this because I know as soon as I bring up Jared Kelnick come the, you know, the angry haters. What is the best way to get excited without getting too excited? What's the best way to do this? I know it's only spring training. I know we've been down this road twice before where he's had great springs, but I can't help myself. I can't help but get you my can't. hopes up. I mean, because when you birdie number one on the course, it's over. Like, <laughs> when when just, does that ever happen? You're doomed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. I'm going to shoot yes. 65 today. Um, yes. <laughs> maybe this is going to be Lucy in the football. Like, I know that that's a possibility. I'm prepared for that. But, like... But his what previous is, two springs have not looked like this, right? They've been I, I pretty good. Would, not quite this good, but yeah. pretty good. Yeah. See, that, that'd be the one thing I would say is just eh, let's compare it to maybe the previous two springs. And I think you just said it right there. 25 plate appearances. Mm-hmm. 
right? I mean, it's it's not a it's not a no. It's a, like a, a week and a half sample size. Yes, exactly. And and it gets you know at times some guys that are two A, three A, four A pitchers, but you're you're absolutely maximizing it, and and that's where I. You know, and and we say this every single March and every single spring. Ah, The numbers don't matter. Don't look at the numbers. Don't look at the results. And this is where the process is so much more critical. That it isn't even these results, but it's the actual process. It's him just in a better place. It's him getting along with his teammates. It's him comfortable in his skin. Mm -hmm. It's him, you know, with some adjustments that he's made that he obviously feels very good about. So I I think it is so much more about that process because ultimately over 160 games, it's going to be that process. And and I'll throw one else out there. And I, I don't know whether Jared would agree with this. If he were here, he'd probably give me a death stare and tell me to shut up. But that's okay. I'll say it anyway. The Julio story, I think, was challenging last year. I mean, he Julio was getting every ounce of the attention and deserving it, living up to it. And then the season started and it got even worse. And Kelnick once again couldn't hit. I mean, I, he can say that that didn't have an effect. And maybe he's right. But from my perspective, where we sit, Brock... It sure seemed like it. Well, and then I think there was what a three hundred and fifty million dollar. Right, I mean all those too. things, right? I mean, like when and and in the meantime, he's sitting there thinking about the fact that he passed up some big money, not quite as big as what Julio got, but mm. some big money, and now all of a sudden he's floundering. So, I, yeah, I, I think I put all of those things together with the fresh start and getting away from Wisconsin and going to California and some different mental skills coaching, and I, don't know, I put it all together with the new swing and the success he's having and all of it. Yeah. All right, fine. I'm Charlie Brown. What can I tell you? Maybe this time Lucy won't pull the football because here's the thing. If she doesn't and Jared Kelnick is as good as he's been right now in spring training, mm-hmm. the Mariners are going to be ridiculous. Mm-hmm. They don't need Jared Kelnick to be this guy in order to be good. They're built off pitching, etc. But if he is, look out, man, because for the neck, not just for next year, or this year, but for the future, they're stacked at that point with a couple of dudes at the top of their you know, food chain that have legitimate star potential. So, yeah, sorry. I'm excited again. I'm hyped up again. I'm fully bought in on Jared Kelnick, and I don't care who knows about it. Still a blue idiot. This is Brock and Sox Blue 88. Blue 88! Blue 88! We take you to the field as Brock Ewer breaks down three football questions as only he can. Now here's your hosts, Brock Ewer and Mike Song. All right, Brock, question number one for you. Three good football questions every day at 745. We got all the details on Thursday and then even on Friday. More coming about Geno Smith's deal and just how team-friendly it is. Wow. Yeah. Essentially, that's my question. Wow. Yeah. 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 yeah it, it's, it is incredible because even these incentives, as I understand it, Mike, and, and once again, some of this contract language, language at times can be confusing and hard to read. I don't think this is, though. So even these incentives, so last year on his deal, right, just to look back to last season, one year, three and a half million, and then three and a half million in incentives to be paid. And he and he hit every one of them, going to the Pro Bowl, the million dollars going to the playoffs. So he doubled his salary last year. So he got that now, right? He got that in real time. Season ended, here you go. You earn this bonus. As I understand it, as I look at this language, these aren't even incentives in that manner. They are they are escalators. So if he hits all of his numbers this year, and by the way, you know, this this cap number of this upcoming season, about 10 million, is what you and I kind of speculated when the initial thing came out, looking at it, going, okay, well, how are they gonna move numbers around? So a cap number for this year, about 10 million, which is awesome. Um, 
But if he hits his numbers and, and he plays at the same level as he did a year ago and they go to the playoffs and he goes to the Pro Bowl, as I understand this contract, Mike, then next year escalates. Mm-hmm. It's it's not as if he gets just a big old check. It is, okay, now next year all your salary bumps up significantly and you go you know, from making X to, I think it's $32 million cap hit or $33 million cap hit. So you get big-time escalators. But then you've got to be on the roster, right? You've got to be the quarterback next year. It really is a year-by-year deal they can get out of where Geno really bet on himself. And I would say even times over bet, like, gosh, I I think I'd want that cash on hand in my pocket rather than just as an escalator into the next season because this team could make a decision after one year to be done. So it was about as team-friendly a deal as I can ever remember for a guy that was a pro bowler. But then again... You know, Smith's a guy that most of us can never remember coming out of nowhere after nine years having the kind of season he did. So Gino's agent looked at the market, decided this is going to be the best deal we can get. We're not going to go to market. We're going to we're going to not necessarily give back to the team that took care of us, but we are certainly going to have as friendly a deal as imaginable. (laughs) And kudos in the end to Matt Thomas and John Schneider. They've got to get that deal done. They've got to do the negotiating. They've got to do the communication. Yeah, Pete comes in on the side every once in a while when Gino was maybe a little bit upset or felt disrespected. But give a big tip of the cap to John and to Matt Thomas for getting an incredibly team-friendly deal done to lock up the quarterback. All right, question number two. So on Friday, Carolina trades up to number one with the Bears. Why and who are they going to take there? Yeah, I, I just I think it's Bryce Young. I've said that from the start of this year. KJ and I said it mid-season of this year, over the course of the season. I just think he's different than these other two. And Scott Fitterer, the, the man in charge in Carolina, was around Russell Wilson for a lot of years. When Russell was the wizard, when Russell was uh, ahead of the curve, when Russell was old man wisdom and everything else, this kid's got it all. He plays, he just, he, he, you know, and he's done it at Alabama too. I think that that is an aspect of it. He's done it under huge expectations. He's done it already to some degree getting paid. He's made millions of dollars. He did it playing in a bowl game. He did it reaching out to to people that he really respects. And he's got a lot of respect of old NFL QBs and say, hey, what do you think I should do? Should I play in this Sugar Bowl? Should I just pass on it? Should I be out? And a bunch of them said, no, go play. Go finish what you started. Go light it up. And he certainly did all of that. He's got a maturity. He's got a wisdom. He's got a game that is just stands out, speaks for itself. And if you felt that way during the season, if you felt that way for three years watching him, then I think you got to be careful about letting 5'10 and 200 pounds get in the way because at every turn, he's been ahead of the curve. And that's the kind of guy that if I'm going to make this trade and I'm going to go up to number one and I'm going to give what I gave, I better have conviction about it. And I, it better not take me the next 40 days. I know Jeremy Fowler sound, and I know that's what Carolina's saying. Well, we're still open for business. This just gives us, you know, first rights, and, and anybody else can come and, and get involved. I think they made that move because they clearly know who they want. And if they were to ask me, it would be the kid out of Alabama. All right, question number three. Well, we know the Seahawks need help on the defensive line, especially in the interior of that D-line, and there's not a lot available. Deron Payne just signed his new deal. Was it four years, $90 million? So the market for the uh, top of the top is quite a bit. Who should they be looking at, Brock, both the big names and maybe some of the smaller names that John's been pretty good at finding over the years? Yeah, I'll be kind of curious. And again, this is probably familiarity. 
just familiarity that, that you've played against these guys twice a year. You've schemed against them twice a year, right? You not only did your own evaluation when they came out in the draft three, four, five years ago, but then you've really got to watch them. They've not been distant. You've got to attack them. So these guys are really all from the NFC West, Mike. It starts with Leonard Floyd for me. I I would absolutely entertain him. I would be most curious to see what his market is going to be like. He's long. He's still hyper-athletic. He punctures an edge. He sets an edge. Um, I I know that this draft is, is loaded with guys, and I would still take one or two of them somewhere in this draft because you could never, ever, ever have enough pass rush so he would be probably the first guy i would entertain and then the other two are a little bigger body uh one of them is a former husky greg Gaines. uh he's, he's short he's stocky doesn't have the longest arms he's puna ford-esque in some ways in that regard so it may not even be a phone call because he doesn't have that length but greg Gaines is a powerful athlete that can disrupt and can move people and at times is more than done his job down there in L.A. with the Rams, albeit with Aaron Donald next to him making his job a little bit easier. And then the name you're hearing a lot bantered about as I'm down here in Arizona is Zach Allen, the the former D.N., um, highly drafted guy out of Boston College, simply because he's 6'5", he's 280, he's long, five and a half sacks, a career high last year in Arizona. I'm not as wild by him as some of the people in the media are and some of the folks that are trying to project this and where free agent dollars can go. I think he's going to get overpaid uh, because of a, of a heated D-tackle market, but he would be one that you at least have to pick up the phone because from a measurable standpoint and asking what you want of big people in the middle, he's got some of the attributes you're looking for. All right, there you go. That is today's Blue 88. Uh, most of those guys are edge. I mean, how many edge guys can you have on your team? Right. I mean, like if you're talking about bringing well, in Allen under- is an inside guy. Allen's like, a I know, but I'm kind of going back to you, what you said inside. beforehand. I mean, it, if you were to get Leonard Floyd in addition to, you know, who you've already got, Chenna and Daryl mm-hmm. Taylor. Right. I mean, all three of those guys play similar positions, right? None of them are playing a D end in your scheme, right? They're all sort of outside linebackers. Yep. And then you're talking about Will Anderson with the number five pick. Yep. I mean, can you do all of those things? Can you have all of those guys on your team and on your field at once? Uh, yeah, I would because in addition to Boy Mafe, who you spent a second round pick on last year, because the teams that you play against in your division, you do have to stop the run. But sixty five percent of this league is in eleven personnel, so you know there's still many times, Mike, where you're in a four down front, where you're in a nickel front, where you're in a pass rushing front, and you've got to rush and affect and impact the passer. I just I, I look at this list of D tackles and both in this draft and even in free agency, does it get you excited? I mean, are, are you no, looking at any of these things going, oh, yeah, I remember. I, it it oh, doesn't get me excited oh. at all, but I also saw what the Seahawks had a problem with last year, and that was right up front. So you can tell yeah. me about all the middle linebackers that are available, but if they're constantly dealing with offensive linemen and they're face five yards downfield, yeah. I, I don't know how useful they even are to have on your team. So the Seahawks have themselves a good old-fashioned quandary, Quan- right? I mean, like, what do they do? Yep. What? What? How do they – I don't mean digs. Like how do they how do they figure out they're fixing their biggest need when it's not readily available? We'll discuss next. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on seven ten, SeattleSports.com.